Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. You're listening to Arabiyat with Linda and Sareya. I'm Linda. And I'm Sareya. Today, our guest is Wiam Ghatban. She's a Syrian-American who works on two up-and-coming websites out of the Middle East and North Africa. They're particularly unique platforms that try to give a voice to those who are usually unheard or ignored in the region. The first, a music discovery platform for independent artists out of the MENA region called Mideast Tunes. The other, called Ahwat, is a forum-like space for the LGBTQ community in the region to connect and start dialogue on issues that concern the community. We am welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So tell us, what exactly do you do for these two websites? So for Mideast Tunes, I focus on recruiting new bands and researching new music and just being in contact with the bands and trying to tell them about our project and get them to join the platform so that we can amplify their music and get it to a broader audience. Um, and then I also do like the social media promotion end of it and like blog posts and curate playlists and uh, highlight stories on our blog. And then for Ahwa, I moderate the site. So I sort of make sure that everyone is posting according to community guidelines and that there's no sort of like hate speech or inappropriate sort of content. That's a lot of telling people they can't try to like hook up because <laughs> that's not the like, although that's like a great potential outcome of the site, it's not like the purpose of the site. So can you talk a little bit about the purpose of the site? Yeah. So both of these platforms are, they're connected to one hub, which is called Mideast Youth. And it's founded and run by this awesome Bahraini activist named Isra al-Shafai. Some of the other projects are migrantrights.org. And that one is like to support migrant workers' rights in the Middle East. Um, There is... Uh, this other platform called CrowdVoice, which is sort of like a crowdsourcing website for timelines about social revolutions and social um, change movements. And so the the purpose of all of the different platforms that are related to Mideast youth is to amplify the voices of marginalized, under, underrepresented folks in the Middle East and North Africa. So the purpose of ahwa.org specifically is to really help LGBTQ folks in the Middle East and North Africa feel connected to each other and feel like there's like peer support and there's a place that they can turn to when they're feeling really isolated and like there's no one else like them because I think in our communities both locally and abroad it can feel really isolating especially if you're LGBTQ. I feel like it's like a really it can be kind of like a life-saving platform because we see people who post that are like, I'm feeling so depressed, I, I feel like I want to kill myself, and then people will chime in and be like, no. <laughs> and like just having that affirmation like, oh, there are other people like me who've, who have overcome these struggles can be really life-saving, and it feels really meaningful to, to support that kind of work. Is Ehwa at all in communication with any LGBTQ uh, centers in the Middle East? I know Lebanon has one for sure. I'm not sure about the rest of the region, but do you guys deal with them somehow because they could be like physically present if need be? 
that is definitely like the direction of growth that we want to go toward. So right now it's like an unfunded project basically. And what we want to do when we find some funding is to make it a resource center. So not just a communication platform, but a place where people can go and be like, here are all the LGBT centers in my area. And here are like the printed resources, you know, like a directory of mental health resources and things like that. So we want to expand in that direction and deepen our relationships with these NGOs that are on the ground. But that's like definitely something that we're working towards. What regions do you find users most from? So on ahwat.org, there are a ton of Egyptians. It's really hard in Egypt right now, like just reading their posts, especially I think for gay men. I've just been reading a lot about people experiencing a lot of physical violence and clamp down on activity and raids and stuff like that. So there's a lot of Egyptians. And then there's a fair number of other North Africans like Tunisians, Algerians, and then Palestinians. So I think those are... But I don't know, like, the data, like, where the most users are coming from. But for Mideast Tunes, there's a lot of folks in Algeria that use it and Iraq. Um, when did you start getting involved with these platforms? It's been about a year. And we actually, like, the the staff is this international group of folks in Mexico, India, Europe, the Middle East. And we all finally were able to, like, meet each other in person a couple months ago. And that was really cool to, like, connect with all of these really awesome activists in person. But, yeah, it can be a little bit weird to be, like, based in the U.S., as, you know, like, having grown up here and then sort of moderating these conversations of Arab, primarily, like, youth in uh, LGBT youth in the Middle East and North Africa who are coming from just, like, really different contexts. Their problems are really different than the ones I face. I don't face the same sort of life-threatening danger that I think they're experiencing. So it's, like, it can feel strange to step in and, and, and moderate from that position. I mean, part of it can just be sort of about the narrative I'm used to around queer identity, which is maybe coming from like kind of an academic place that wants to counter the mainstream narrative that I need to come out or like how to conceptualize queer identity as stepping away from like the the mainstream narrative of, oh, I like I finally discovered who I was and now I need to like tell the world. So how do I enter a conversation where I'm coming from this place of like, well, you know, coming out is stupid. <laughs> or like, I don't, I, I, I'm like very anti-marriage or whatever, because it's hetero-patriarchal, normative, yeah, um, like homo-nationalist, blah, blah, blah. But then like for folks who, if that were in the realm of possibility, could just like give them hope for their lives. So many folks just feel like there's no future for them if, if they don't get married to someone of the opposite gender. So yeah, like I can't just be like, well, marriage is stupid. <laughs> are there people moderating those conversations that are in the Middle East that are like closer to like the perspective of people like, you know, that have the issues that you're like, I'm not sure how to deal with these questions. I mean, the way that I moderate is really a uh, allow as much free expression as possible and only intervene if I feel like there's hate speech happening or, you know, something that could be violent to someone else. So, yeah, I try to, even though some conversations make me feel kind of squeamish or make me feel like, ah, this is so weird coming from the U.S. and, like, not really knowing how to deal with this, I, I generally tend not to, like, get involved in those conversations. But, yeah, I think as far as I know, we have some 
folks, especially that voluntarily moderate, like the Arabic end, who are based there. Yeah, actually, I just thought about that. I didn't see any in Arabic, though. They were all in English. So there's an Arabic end of our site. Yeah, Uh that's like all in Arabic. And And I also moderate that somewhat. So why would some people be speaking in English? If they're all from the region, like, what, who would be choosing to do in English versus in Arabic? Do you know why? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure why, actually. That's interesting. But I've heard that the Arabic side of the site is, like, sexier. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit more explicit and, like... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, they're more open? Or... I guess, yeah. yeah. And that might just be a function of speaking in your native language. Other issues, though, I've come across is like a lot of biphobia and transphobia in in that space, which is just hard and unacceptable. And I try to like push, but it's yeah, it it does feel weird coming from like a U.S. context. The discourse is just different than it is there. Or like the realities on the ground or the context is so different. But also the history, you know, the U.S. has had a long time of dealing with LGBTQ presence and developing not only like academic discourses on it, but also policies and terms and identities, etc. And so we have this space now where we could have these discussions also about, you know, is it important for marriage to happen? Like, is that more important than having uh, equal pay in the workplace or safety in the workplace or for trans youth, you know, safety just in general in life? In the Middle East, I feel like because just in the past, like, decade or so. It's very, very recent that there's been more visibility of the LGBTQ community. It's a heavily Muslim region. We can't deny that. And religion plays a big part, especially in in the Gulf countries. So like Saudi Arabia, um, the UAE, etc. It's a little bit more difficult to come out as gay or, or the need to come out. And so I feel like what the Middle East LGBT community has done is tried to model itself against the way the U.S. has been doing things, which is problematic in the sense that it's a Western narrative and it's a Western way of doing things. And for a long time, we've had our own LGBT. Historically, there's just been a, a large community and it's changed and it's evolved. And of course, with the introduction of Islam, there's been a lot of different things. And especially if you extend it like beyond just the Arab region, like Iran has, you know, it's a very well documented history of hom- like homosexuality in a very normal way. Like you married to someone, a woman, man married to a woman, but you also had a lover who was a boy. So I think now everyone's just trying to do what the U.S. has been doing. And I think it's making it an uncomfortable process rather, rather than figure out like how to do it from within the culture. Yeah, that's that's totally I'm on the same tip as you on that. And I think it's like it goes both ways. On the one hand, I think there are LGBTQ folks in the MENA region who are like modeling their rights-based approach after like, you know, Western approaches. But then there are some that are so like resentful of homonationalism in the U.S. and Europe and the way that the U.S. and Europe have used homonationalist agendas to like interfere in really violent ways in our countries. I was talking to someone who does work in the UN around Syria and um, like advocates for the UN to like pass things to protect Syrian civilians. And that they were just talking about how it was so impossible to get an audience until members wanted to talk about 
ISIS's anti-gay stance. And they were like, really? <laughs> like, people have been dying of barrel bombs. And like, that's definitely an issue. But it's, you know, so small in comparison to the amount of destruction that has been happening at the hands of the regime. So I feel like that creates this resentment towards the U.S. and Europe's like agenda around queer rights from within. And then, yeah, and, and then, like, how do you create a, like, LGBTQ identity and community separate from the impact of colonialism and imperialism that had so much to do with policing gender and sexuality in our countries? Right. And, you know, um, going back to your previous point, Israel's whole thing with pinkwashing, you know, they're really clinging on to this idea of we're pro-gay rights and Palestinians are not because they're Muslim and they're like anti-gay. And yeah. that's why you need to support Israel. So it's really interesting how just the gay issue has been what everyone, you know, <laughs> centers it's on. appropriated for right. the purposes of certain people. Like, I don't think that they I don't believe that Western powers who are involving themselves in the Middle East, who are standing by while like civilians are being barrel bombed, who are speaking out against gay rights, actually have any interest in like helping liberate LGBT people in like Syria. I think we have to remember that the United States went through that evolution and they didn't get to the point of being able to freely discuss LGBTQ and really like allow those issues to to evolve and flourish until like a very long time after other issues were dealt with first, like human rights issues, women's rights, voting rights, and like other others during the civil rights movement. So I'm saying it's only in very recent history that we've even been able to talk about these things. And there are issues that have existed for centuries now. I mean, it's gays have existed for forever, but actually bringing them to the forefront of modern society. And so it's going to be a process. I see that a platform like this seems to be very rare. I don't, how many, can you talk a little about like, are there other platforms such as these that are allowed these issues to come to the forefront? So this is the only such platform and the biggest one of its kind. Um, it's almost 6,000 users. But yeah, so what? back to what you were saying, I think that I like I believe that, you know, justice is indivisible and I don't necessarily agree with forefronting one particular issue. Like I think telling, you know, women like it's not time for women's rights, it's time to overthrow a regime or whatever is never like a good has a good outcome. And I think focusing on the rights of the most marginalized communities is, you know, the route to liberation. It's just like such a paradox because the U.S. is constantly trying to police the rights of like minorities or whatever in other countries. And yet, yeah, the history is so tainted here. And it's based on this violent history of colonization of indigenous folks and like enslavement and U.S. history of sexuality identity stuff is so based on like creating an other on the indigenous other or the like the history of hypersexualizing African Americans and stuff like that. So it's yeah, it's totally paradoxical that the U.S. then uses this, which only in recent history have LGBT folks in the U.S. been able to secure rights we as a way to to intervene violently in other countries. And, and, it, and it undermines it, it ends up undermining those rights because then the general populace is like, well, screw the U.S. and screw LGBT people. It's like a U.S. created problem. <laughs> like we didn't have this problem before you intervened or like people who are like, really, you want to talk about ISIS and the gays like we're dying. And it really ends up undermining, I think, LGBTQ folks's safety and rights. On the other side of that, though, I know this from my family the rise in like the talk about LGBT people in the Middle East because there has been more and more and more talk 
has been attributed to the influence of the West of like, oh, we didn't have this problem until like Western right. media and MTV. And, you know, like they cite all these things. It's like gay people are only created by Western media, which is absurd. But it's always put on that instead of like, no, this exists. It's existed in historically in the region for Ever, yeah, you know, and at times we accepted it, at times we didn't, and and you know we're in that p- place where we're not really accepting it right now, and move, you know, movements are trying to happen. I think it's it's really interesting how the LGBT community needs to like navigate that against resisting the West, but at the same time, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I feel so like it's such layered. a it's such a complicated situation, and. You know, what what kind of conversations like that are coming out in the in Ahwa that you see? I think folks are dealing with these issues. It's on the one hand, I think like the people will come out to their parents and there's a lot of backlash like, no, you know, that this isn't real. This is not something in our culture. This is like something that you are seeing in the West or whatever. But I yeah, I think like having a platform like Ahua is so valuable because then folks see like literally thousands of other people like them and they're like, wait, I'm not just this isn't I think you can start to doubt yourself and be like, well, maybe if these images of Western LGBTQ people didn't exist, then I there's because of globalization, you know, one's an island, you know, but at the same time, like, I think it's really affirming and validating to see that there is like an indigenous queerness that exists in the Middle East and North Africa and I'm not the only one and we've always been here and I, that's like totally true I mean there are, um, there's like scholarship on medieval Arab lesbians <laughs> like it's right, always yeah. been part of our culture so I wanted to get into some of the conversations that I, I saw on your forum just to mention two do you really believe that there's a cure for homosexuality you know those are like the questions that I saw were like all very raw and just hitting the point. The other one would be like, I'm Muslim, I wear hijab, and I like girls, so what? I mean, look at all those layers of identity. I never seen these kinds of conversations happening. So I feel like this kind of a platform really is bringing to the forefront things that people are thinking about and not um, talking about verbally because there's so much stigma around these conversations. What are some of the ones that stand out to you the most or surprised you? Yeah, I mean, the the ones you pointed out, I think that that maybe goes back to my example of how I'm just like, uh, I'm U.S. based. How do I even like begin to interact with these conversations? Because I just feel like it's so distant from me that I, I haven't even thought about like queerness as an illness that can be cured, <laughs> like, you know, ever. Yeah, and, <laughs> um, and in so, Oakland, too, so it's even right, more it's so it's so here. radical, and so, but then I'm just reminded contexts and realities are so much different, and that that is real, like, if you're being constantly told in your mosque that this is, like, something that's curable or whatever, it becomes internalized, and I, I thought the, the thread about the um, hijab-wearing lesbians was awesome, because even, like, for me, it totally, I have hijab wearing lesbian friends and even yet like somehow hearing about more of those folks made me really like check my assumptions <laughs> around right. folks identities and stuff it totally blows up your whole conception of what it means to be lgbtq and arab do you feel like there's one region of the middle east that's like most liberated in terms of lgbtq do you think? <coughs> but well, no, it's Lebanon, still really hard, though, Lebanon right? Lebanon like, legalized because of... it was illegal to be gay. Mm-hmm. Like literally, they just they um, removed that that law. Mm-hmm. So when did they do that? They did that recently, maybe like a year ago, maybe less. Lebanon, they've okayed it. 
the act of sodomy was illegal. You know, it's not like if you're with a dude holding hands because in Lebanon, it's okay. You know, you see a lot of men holding hands. There's not that fear of like, oh, you're gay because you're holding hands. It's Mm -hmm. just the way like young boys and men will hold hands as as a sign of friendship and trust. But it's if you're caught in the act of sodomy, (laughs) which why would you I mean, I think those laws exist like still today in the U.S. South. (laughs) Let's be real. Yeah, (laughs) probably. Until recently. (laughs) I was going to say earlier that we literally just this year we just legalized gay marriage. And so I'm like, okay, when the U.S. just legalized gay marriage, like, how do we expect the Middle East to go anywhere near that? I mean, we're still working on these issues yeah. here. And I know that during that conversation, um, and when that happened, like, even here, like, I work as a producer for Upfront. It's like a news show. And some of the people who are contributing to the conversation are like, we don't care about marriage. Like, marriage is stupid, like how you were saying. And then there's also a mainstream in America that's just really, really cares and wants that right to get married. And... So there's a more marginalized community beneath the the gay marriage, the the people who wanted just all they wanted was just to be mainstream, have, get married, be part of that community. Then there's also, but then there's these other layers like these minorities, LGBTQ, transgender issues that we still haven't even dealt with, and we're still not talking about. It's just very ironic. It just points out the hypocrisy of the 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 West trying to impose their model of of liberation on. The Arab world, the Middle East, which really has to find its own organic way with dealing with like all the issues that are in their their societies, not just even gays. Like it's like we have to figure out how to do democracy or or to just govern ourselves in a way that's even organic to us, you know, and authentic to the Arabs instead of just imposing democratic models from the West. We should be developing those things. And I think we're in that process. And I think in that process, we will kind of get to all the issues. I'm not saying that one should be placed in front of the other. It's just that in reality, historically, that's what's happened. It kind of comes in its own time. And it's this is a very complex conversation. And like, I don't even know if we're like fit to be having it, actually. I just like I, be, I believe like in a maybe naive way that hopefully with our self-determination comes equity and liberation for all members of our community you know including the queer it's just that sadly in past liberation struggles i think like it's become like this nationalist thing and with nationalism is a lot of patriarchy and that ends up really like subjugating women and other under marginalized folks yeah i don't think there should be an assumption that like if we if whatever country like gains freedom or self-determination that is automatically going to be extended these liberties are going to be extended to all people in that society it's not like not historically that is not the case i'm saying maybe today taking into consideration all if if there's an authentic struggle that takes into consideration all marginalized groups from the beginning i mean there was there was and then regimes squelched them really violently if you look at the syrian revolution like starting from the beginning those their main platforms were no to sectarianism no to violence like and there were always you know, queer people involved in those struggles. And as there was more regime backlash and violence and and it became a bloody war, like those issues were lost completely. And it was just a matter of survival. And it's just really sad to have seen that happen because that was like such a hopeful moment. I know. And it it seems scary now, but I I believe that this is just part of the process. Unfortunately, we're in a very, very dark time. It was like we had the initial excitement and you know, the hope, and then it got squashed. But, like, as in life, like, things don't happen in a linear way. So, And revolution isn't a one-time act. Yes. I want to talk about the trans community in the Middle East. I, growing up there, I had, like, the notion that it was more accepted than being gay. 
I mean, not necessarily like completely embraced. I wonder like in the forums if you've seen anything about, you know, from trans people on there discussing and if, if it seems at all like different or maybe a little bit not better. I mean, I don't I don't have an appropriate word for this, but if it might um, be a little bit easier for them than it has been for the gay youth. And I know this is like I feel really weird saying it like this. It's just that I feel like maybe somehow we're more accepting of someone if they identify as a woman and choose to be with a man, you know, than if they're physically present as a man and want to be with a man. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I don't think I can speak on that. I just don't have enough knowledge. Um, and there's nothing in the forums? So it's, there, I mean, so what I've seen in the forums has been a lot of just, like, advice sharing about, um, like, and resource sharing about, like, if you want to go the route of gender reassignment stuff or get hormones, like, here, I'm in Egypt, I did it, this is how I did it, you know, here are the doctors that are, like, you know, that are friendly, and here are the doctors that you should avoid, or things like that, which I think is really great. I'm glad that those that information is being shared. But in terms of experience, you know, comparing experiences, I don't have a lot of information. And, and yeah, it's it's like, it's such a like treacherous place to go, I think, because like the kind of oppression that you're going to be facing as a trans person is it's it's still probably huge. And and like, I don't know how I would compare it to, you know what I mean, to like a cisgendered queer person. Right. Um, but what I have seen, interestingly, like battles going down are between uh, cis gay men and like cis lesbian women who are in uh, who kind of are like, well, you know, we like <laughs> I've found like kind of really angry responses from women to men who express their experiences of violence and homophobia. And the women are like, well, we know how to keep it in the closet and like to keep ourselves safe. So why can't you? And not sort of like being willing to see that masculinity is policed in this really violent way that maybe, you know, like femininity is too, but I almost think can be worse in some ways than the way that femininity is policed. And there's kind of a lot of victim blaming and resentment that can happen where folks are like, well, you know, I can keep it in the closet. Why can't you? Or or like I just remember there's this Egyptian man who posted like I get beat up every day when I go out and I'm not doing anything. I'm not trying to be quote unquote flamboyant. I'm just like who I am in the world. And because I'm not masculine enough, people just like treat me really violently and seeing kind of a lack of sympathy from women who are maybe able to be under the radar a little bit because of like you were saying sort of societally acceptable like homosocial behavior where you're allowed to be affectionate with each other or whatever that's I think slowly being eroded for men for women being affectionate with each other and being intimate and like living together and all that stuff is not really questioned we don't you know we sort of I mean this this is I think one upside of misogyny or patriarchy, rather, um, is that we're kind of ignored in that sense. And so nobody really pays attention to what we're doing in, you know, what we're doing, whatever. Um, They only are concerned with what we're doing in front of the male gaze. Yeah, that's the only time they care is how it's affecting men. But when we're together doing things together, it's, you know, they're not really questioning it. So it makes it makes a lot of sense in that. Yeah, and men have to regard. be constantly performing masculinity, right. in, especially in like a you know like a patriarchal world, just like here. But it's like, and the minute you quote unquote fail at doing that, like you're susceptible to a lot of violence. I guess let's move on to Mid East tunes. We haven't even touched on that. 
So I, a little tidbit, I worked at a startup here in the Bay Area that was a music discovery platform. And it, what it mostly tried to do was um, have you like discover people who are playing shows in your area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it was really trying to like be a part of this like movement of, you know, how do artists make their money? They make their money from tours and from playing shows. And so like, let's, let's have people hear their music online because anyway, they're streaming it from other sources. So have their musical music available to stream and then have them buy tickets to, you know, support the artist because people aren't buying music anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and they tried to like tout this sort of like, you know, we're of the people and doing this for the artists, et cetera. But at the end of the day, they, they, and to this day, they want to get bought. They want to get bought by Google or Facebook or some big company so they can make money. And obviously, you know, it's it exists in the U.S. and this is a capitalist society. So, you know, that's that's how they want to do it. But what I noticed about Mideast Tunes, besides the fact that it's a platform for Middle East and North African musicians, where that's, you know, those that's the artists from those regions only, um, is that it its purpose and its statement is to to create social change. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's true that like we we also do a lot of work to try to just get audiences to listen to more artists and to get them to support their music and so on our website like on each profile there's links to the artist's website and so that you can buy tickets to shows and buy their music and things like that. But um we are very social justice oriented and that is the goal is to promote artists who are socially conscious, who are making music in political contexts where it's like extremely dangerous to criticize power structures and they're doing it anyway as a source of inspiration for other people to do the same and to see to see how powerful making art can be. So that's like definitely our explicit goal in doing this. And we don't make any money. I mean, that's like, <laughs> fund us. <laughs> so we're a nonprofit. So we just kind of do it out of the sake of just like really believing in the in the power of art to inspire change. Right. I saw that Peter Gabriel, uh, there was like a video of Peter Gabriel shouting out the Mideast Tunes artists yeah. and saying, keep on doing you. And how did that happen? How did you guys get in touch with Peter Gabriel? <laughs> That's my awesome boss, Isra, um, the Bahraini activist. She just like has amazing hookups and knows how to, she's just so passionate and people like, I think, see the passion and want to support the project. Tons of musicians have have come out and and said like this is really great what you're doing and we get a lot of requests from people like you know how can we support you're based in the u.s but you're looking out for musicians from the region Mm -hmm. how do you go about doing that because you're not there you're not on the ground and a lot of these people are really underground yeah well even if they're really underground they have soundcloud pages that's true (laughs) so i like do honestly i just do a lot of like trolling the internet for like you know once i find one indie band like seeing who they are connected with and who they like and who they follow and then kind of like snowballing out from there but i agree it's like unfortunate that i can't just have my ear to the ground like in the physical country because it would be probably a lot easier and easier to cultivate relationships than it is over email although like i I have to say, like, I feel like I've been able to do that pretty well over email. People are so thrilled about the project when they hear about it that they want to do everything to support. Like, there's this really cute 
hip hop duo in Gaza named uh, Revolution Makers. They're these two young brothers who um, are rappers. And when they heard about the project um, and I approached them to be on it, they were like, well, what if we donated like proceeds from part of our like part of the proceeds from our album to supporting your your platform? And I was like, whoa, like these kids in Gaza like, want to support us. Wow. <laughs> it was so sweet. And so like I feel like the response from bands has been overwhelmingly supportive and they want to connect us to other people they know and that's how we get sort of plugged in that's that's pretty cool what kind of music and artists are coming out like all types yeah literally all types like tons all, all sorts of genres from like electro hip-hop uh traditional folk ambient experimental like funk <laughs> all sorts of genres um and all kinds of uh ethnic and national uh, backgrounds. So we've got like a, a big Kurdish section. We have um, folks from Turkey, Iran, and then the like Arab countries. If any of our listeners want to join, how do they go about doing that? Um, so you can go to midistunes.com and you can also download our app on Android or iPhone, which you should do now if you don't have it. <laughs> Is there any way that the U.S. based or other people who are concerned about these issues and could get involved with Ahwat? Um, that's a good question. They should email me. <laughs> what, so what's your email? My first name, weam, W-E-Y-A-M, at midistunes.com. We would love to have more, like, volunteer support on moderation. And if you know of any awesome funders who would be interested, we'd love to, like, get get your suggestions. Ahua is one of our most beloved projects. It's mine for sure. And I really want to see it grow and become, like, a bigger resource all right, great. So be sure to check out Ahwat, that's A-H-W-A-A dot O-R-G, and Midi's Tunes, that's M-I-D-E-A-S Tunes dot com. We am, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Arabiyet. You can email us at arabiyet.podcast at gmail.com. That's A-R-A-B-I-Y-A-A-T dot podcast at gmail.com. And follow us on Twitter at Arabiyet and facebook.com slash podcast. Our theme song is by Muqata. The track is called Ahyat. Follow him on soundcloud.com slash B-O-I-K-U-T-T. اسمح لكل الاخوه في الثوره اخي <تصفيق>